Today's episode, the James Webb Telescope sends back its first images. We find out how NASA almost missed an asteroid that landed off the coast of Norway and why allergy season's getting worse. But first, it was this day in 1800 that Alessandro Volta reported his discovery of the electric battery in a letter to the Royal Society of London. 222 years later, his legacy lives on in the unit of electrical potential named in his honour as the Volt. UN Chief Antonio Guterres warned on Monday that the world must act to prevent a hurricane of hunger and a meltdown of the global food system following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Fuel and fertilizer prices are skyrocketing. Supply chains are being disrupted. And the costs and delays of transportation of imported goods when available are at record levels. And all of this is hitting the poorest, the hardest, and planting the seeds for political instability and unrest around the globe. In a part of the world known as the breadbasket of Europe, Ukraine and Russia are huge producers of grain and oil seeds, but many Ukrainian farmers have left the fields to fight and Black Sea ports are closed. This is a disaster for struggling countries close to Ukraine. War-torn Yemen, where hunger's already a huge problem, relied heavily on affordable imports. Olivia Lazard is a visiting scholar at Carnegie Europe and she explains what impacts this will have on food systems and even climate efforts around the world. The disruption of supply chains in Ukraine have already sent staple food prices soaring on global markets. And people are worried about secondhand effects such as social tensions in food insecure countries such as in the MENA region or in Africa. These worries will worsen if climate disruptions intensify in the coming months, and we have every reason to believe that they will. Everybody currently focuses on the weaponization of fossil dependency by Russia, and we must understand that weaning Europe off of Russian gas will create other types of dependencies. There are different options available, and European powers will have to weigh in short and long-term trajectories. On the short term, coal production is likely to go up in Europe. Another readily available option is to increase LNG imports from other sources such as the US and Qatar. But increasing demand on the European side will entail reinforcing fossil lobbies and constrain political spaces for effective transitions globally as a result. On the longer term, Europe wants to seize the moment to accelerate its move towards renewable energy. This is obviously the right choice. But Europe is highly constrained in terms of access to and processing of critical materials necessary for the transition. We're talking about lithium, rare earths, copper, nickel and other materials. And the country that dominates markets currently about these materials is China. For the last few years, Europe has been trying to diversify its supply chains outside of China for critical material and decarbonization technologies. And Ukraine is actually one of the countries that the EU struck a strong partnership with in 2021 regarding critical materials, since it's very well endowed in mineral resources. So the invasion of Ukraine destabilizes European strategies for supply chain diversification and transition effectiveness. It's now been two years since the World Health Organization officially declared the spread of COVID-19 a global pandemic. 
This assessment was made just six weeks after it was declared a global health emergency when there were fewer than 100 cases and no deaths outside of China. Two years later, more than six million people have died. Although reported cases and deaths are declining globally and several countries have lifted restrictions, the pandemic is far from over. And it will not be over anywhere until it's over everywhere. That's WHO Director-General Dr Tedros. At an official press conference, the organisation boss expressed his concerns as countries abandon COVID measures and make a steady return to pre-pandemic life. This inhibits our ability to see where the virus is, how it's spreading and how it's evolving. Despite these warnings, the UK government's pushing ahead with its Living With Covid plan, meaning most people in England will no longer get free PCR or lateral flow tests after the 1st of April. This comes at a time when China's grappling with their worst infection outbreak since the virus first emerged and parts of Europe are starting to see another wave. Even in England, we're starting to see an uptick in cases and news has emerged of a new Omicron sub-variant, Deltacron. While early studies seem to suggest that the vaccines we currently have are still effective against the new variants, the WHO still insists testing must continue to control the spread of the virus. Still to come on the Sunday 7, the James Webb telescope reaches another major milestone and we hear about the ominous Doomsday Glacier. NASA's James Webb Space Telescopes captured a historic image of stars and galaxies thousands of light years away. Engineers say they've now managed to fully focus the $10 billion observatory on a test star. The pin-sharp performance is even better than hoped and has sent back its clearest image yet, an impressive-looking bright orange six-pointed star. Becky Smethurst is an astrophysicist at the University of Oxford and sat down with ABC News to break down what this milestone means for the future of this telescope. It's been, you know, in the design for 20 years. It finally launched on Christmas Day in 2021, just last year. That was a very nerve-wracking Christmas Day. It's been unfolding in space since then, and now it's all being focused. So about a month ago, we essentially had a cross-eyed telescope that couldn't see, you know, like everything focused. And Mm. now they finally finished the focusing and released this image. And it just looks incredible. And the reason we were all so giddy is because it's performing at its maximum physical peak that it possibly could be. All this sort of process of unfolding in space, so much could have gone wrong. And yet everything has come together absolutely perfectly. Whilst to the non-astrophysicist layman, the image captured might just look like a spiky orange star. But for Becky, it tells a whole other story. So what you're seeing in the middle is a star that's in our Milky Way galaxy. It's a few thousand light years away. It's a hundred times fainter than what you'd be able to see with your naked eye if you were just looking at the sky, you know, tonight, look up, what would you see? You wouldn't be able to see this. But it's so incredibly bright because of the amount of light that James Webb collects. And then you can also see in the background galaxies, which are like islands of billions of stars in the universe, you know, millions to billions of light years away. And that was incredible to us astrophysicists was because this was just focused on a star Mm. and just to focus the telescope and that was it. And yet in the background, it revealed this detail in these galaxies, billions of light years away that we've never laid eyes on before. This was just an engineering image designed to test how smoothly all the parts of the telescope are working together, but scientists are gearing up for the real thing expected sometime this summer. Over the next six weeks, the team will proceed through the remaining alignment steps before the telescope's final preparations are complete.
may be thousands of miles away, but the breakup of the Thwaites Glacier in Antarctica could be a disaster for the UK. Also known as the Doomsday Glacier, the melting of Thwaites has the potential to transform the global coastline. Currently, any flow of water is held back from entering the ocean by an ice shelf, a floating extension of the glacier. But the shelf is cracking at an alarming rate. Like cracks on a windscreen, um, it's fracturing at the surface. So we're finding that these cracks and these crevasses and, and, and fractures are spreading out across the ice surface, essentially weakening its fabric and, and allowing it to eventually collapse. That's Dr Peter Davis, a physical oceanographer at the British Atlantic Survey, talking to Sky News. I think we're surprised because of the rate of change that these um, processes are occurring is, is quicker than we were expecting. Um, the suggestion is that it will collapse um, within possibly five years, but certainly within the next couple of decades. Thwaites is melting faster than any other glacier on Earth, but at the same time, it's the one that scientists think is the most vulnerable. The ice melt draining from the glacier already accounts for 4% of rising sea levels, and as NYU professor David Holland explained to Bloomberg, its unique form is only making matters worse. It has a kind of an unusual shape in that when you start at the coastline of Antarctica at Thwaites, and you work your way inland back to South Pole, the bed underneath it, the sea, the sea floor, becomes deeper and deeper. So as it melts, there's more and more ice to melt. So it's a runaway, unstable glacier that right now might be right on a knife's edge and may in fact pass that point. The knife's edge for Thwaites is when it melts and collapses. Scientists fear that if it were to melt entirely, sea levels could rise as much as 65 centimetres. Thwaites does hold the possibility to change the global coastline by something of scale three metres, say. Florida, for example, is, only has an elevation of about three metres. So we're talking about a, a massive potential change on the planet. The impact of this would be felt throughout the world, including here in the UK. The ice at Thwaites Glacier is changing dramatically. It won't vanish overnight, but it is melting rapidly, and that will ultimately affect us all. Still to come on the Sunday 7, we discover Earth's latest encounter with an asteroid and why climate change means bad news for allergy sufferers right after this. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's an asteroid. This week, on the 11th of March, NASA reported that an asteroid the size of a grand piano entered Earth's atmosphere and struck the ocean about 300 miles off the coast of Norway's Jan Mayen Island. The flying space rocks officially called 2022 EB-5, and shockingly, a few hours before it made impact, we had no idea it was even heading our way. 
NASA says it was detected a mere two hours before it struck the Arctic Ocean, marking only the fifth time that any asteroid's been observed before impacting into the atmosphere. Luckily, 2022 EB-5 was a tiny asteroid, but how do scientists know if there are any Earth-threatening ones lurking on the horizon? NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory asteroid expert, what a job, David Fanocchia breaks it down. There is no asteroid that we know of that is concerning in terms of impact hazard. Now, we know that asteroid impacts have happened in the past and can certainly happen in the future. But we should keep in mind that those are rare events. An asteroid impact that could cause serious regional damage only happens every 2,000 years or longer. Still, it's a good idea to protect us against that possibility. And the rule of the game is find asteroids before they find us. And that's why, for over 20 years, NASA has been funding search programs to observe the sky pretty much every single night to find and track asteroids. And we've been doing a pretty good job at that. So far, we've discovered more than a million asteroids, including 95% of the asteroids that are greater than one kilometer and that could come close to the Earth. Once we discover an asteroid, we project its motion into the future to assess the possibility of an impact with Earth. We have a scale called Torino scale that helps us rank the risk coming from each asteroid. It goes from zero, which is lowest risk, to 10, which is highest risk. The good news is that for all the asteroids that we've discovered so far, the Torino scale is zero, so lowest risk for the next 100 years. So, is NASA aware of any Earth-threatening asteroids? No, but we will keep searching the skies just in case. Spring is in the air. The sun's shining brighter, the days are getting longer, and all that means... Ah, yes, the unwelcome return of hay fever season. If allergies weren't bad enough, new research published in the journal Nature Communications found that by the end of the century, pollen season could begin as much as 40 days earlier than it has in recent decades due to global warming. Climate scientists at the University of Michigan looked at 15 different plant pollens in the United States and used computer simulations to calculate how much worse allergy season will get by the year 2100. Not only could allergy season start weeks earlier and end many days later, it'll also be worse while it lasts. The researchers predict that pollen levels could be as much as triple in some places. But what is it about the seemingly innocent pollen that can reduce you into a coughing, sneezing, red-eyed mess? Well, the strange thing about it is that on its own, it's pretty harmless. It's not like a virus or parasite that can give you a disease or damage your organs. It only becomes a problem when your body sees it as one. Our body reacts to that antigen, basically the protein in the pollen. And for some reason, our body um, has recognized it as foreign. That was Dr. Todd Marr from American College of Allergy, Asthma and Immunology speaking with Science Insider. Special antibodies attach to those foreign grains of pollen and summon immune cells to the scene. These release a chemical called histamine, which irritates your nose, eyes and lungs, forcing you to sneeze and flush the pollen out, making one in four people in the UK a snotty, eye-watering mess. While the jury's still out on why pollen does this to our bodies, they do know that some people have more sensitive immune systems than others, and that's based on a bunch of factors like genetics, when you're first exposed to pollen, and how much of it you are exposed to. If it's warmer, which is what climate change is doing, you're going to have more of those pollinating species thriving. 
So climate change is causing plants to release more pollen for longer periods of time and allergies are getting worse than ever. So what can you do about it? Stock up on your antihistamines. These meds grab onto those irritating molecules, preventing them from working. So as we enter spring and pollen counts skyrocket, grab a tissue, pop a tablet and hope that winter returns soon. Could the Amazon rainforest one day change into a savanna? That's a real possibility, according to research carried out by the University of Exeter, the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research and Technical University of Munich. They found that around 75% of Amazon rainforest is less resilient or having a harder time bouncing back from destruction than it was in the early 2000s. This means that after things like fires or drought or deforestation, the forest is taking a longer time to return to its previous state, if it returns at all, that is. Around 17% of the rainforest has already been lost, and researchers think this means that the forest is tiptoeing ever closer to its tipping point, i.e. the point of no return. Parts of the rainforest could start to turn into something more similar to a savannah or grassland. Not only would this devastate the biodiversity of the region and the communities who live there, it would also make the Amazon a source of carbon, as researchers estimate that about 150 to 200 billion metric tonnes of carbon are stored in the forest. As dire as this sounds, researchers are still hopeful the forest could bounce back, even if it takes more time to do so. This has been The Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.